0: Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to John chapter 7. And if you've been here with us the last few months, you might be concerned that I'm skipping a few chapters of the Gospel of John, but I'm not. It has been our habit over the last few months to walk through the Gospel of John. We finished chapter 4 at the end of the year. We will pick back that up. Uh, sometime at the, the middle of the end of February, we'll jump right back into John 5. But I wanted to take some time at the beginning of this year to address some things that have been heavy on my heart. And a good starting place for that is from John chapter 7. We'll look at verses 37 through 38 and 39 in just a moment. I remember vividly the beginning of 2022, January 2022, two years uh, ago, because there was just a real heaviness on my heart. My verse that I kept praying to the Lord was Second 2 Chronicles 20.12, which says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Many of you might have started this year feeling that way, and I certainly started that year feeling that way. In some ways, always feel that, but really felt it going into that year. And the reason is, the year previous to that, there'd been a lot of talk uh, among our staff and leadership that we needed to build a new building. Uh, We knew we were headed into three services. We knew that wasn't a sustainable thing. The master plan was always to build. Anyway, I just, I wasn't there. I didn't want to build a new building. I didn't want to raise the money. I didn't want to go through the whole process. But the need seemed to be there. The plan was there before I got here. And so I just needed the wisdom of the Lord. I did not want to lead the church in this without feeling myself that this is something we needed to do. And it took me a long time. It really took me a while to get to the place where I felt like we needed to do that. But in the process, the Lord did a lot. And that's just how the Lord works. Sometimes we come to the Lord with one prayer, and he makes us wait and wait and wait. But in the waiting, he gives us a thousand other things that we wouldn't have got if we hadn't had waited. And so... One of the things the Lord did in that process is He began to formulate in my own heart a vision for our church. Now, I wasn't looking for a vision for our church. I didn't want a vision for our church. I had been a bit cynical towards church vision statements because usually they're just out there and they don't mean anything and no one does anything with them. And so I had never thought about a vision statement. But the more I began to seek the Lord for what he wanted to do with our church, the more this just really clear picture came of who I wanted our church to be, who I want you to be, and how I want to lead you, and what I want us to experience. And so our vision is this. Our vision is to be the visible presence of Jesus in our community. We want to be a healthy and growing family of faith that is passionate About these three things, experiencing, enjoying, and expanding God's presence to every neighbor and every nation. Now, I spent about... Eight weeks going through every line of that statement theologically. uh, And I think that was the end of 2022. So if you got a new exercising routine and commitment and you want to podcast those, then it'll be such a blessing to you. I don't know if it will. But anyway, uh, I went through every one of those. Just my desire is just for us to be a presence-centered church. That we are experiencing the presence of God. We're enjoying it. And what is flowing out of us is God's presence. Uh, We exist as a local church. To be an outpost for the kingdom of God, we exist to be a place in which Christ is seen. Uh, The Christ who is ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father still wants to be seen. He is seen through his people, primarily through the ministry of a local church. And so that was the vision the Lord began to give me. What's interesting is, as I begin to think about that vision, I begin to see it everywhere in Scripture. I think it's really clear in Genesis 2, but there's probably no passage that communicates that more than the one in John 7. If you're there, look at John 7, starting in verse 37, it says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. Let's say that together. This he said about the Spirit whom those he, who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so Jesus begins to give this vision in John chapter 7, which is really articulated in Genesis chapter 2, of us receiving constantly from the Spirit of God, which not only brings life and health into our hearts, but also flows out of us to the ends of the earth. And so the vision is not just for us to be more evangelistic and mission-minded. The vision is for us to be drinking heavily from the Lord, and that fills us and permeates out of us. And so throughout all that, the Lord began to give me a picture of what that looks like. This is what I believe the clearest picture I can give you of what it means to walk with Jesus Christ, okay? What it shows is this river of living water. So this is the presence of God. This is the spirit of God that is flowing into our hearts. And what happens is when that, when that happens, we become alive. And the green represents the life of the spirit of God in us. And so it satisfies us. It quenches our thirst. It makes us healthy emotionally, spiritually, in every way. The more that the work of the spirit is in us, the more we're experiencing the life of Jesus Christ. But then the goal is that which is flowing into us is also permeating out of us. So the blue around the edges there symbolizes the life of Jesus flowing into us and all the way through us. So if you were to come to me and say, what's your best advice on parenting or marriage? I would give you this. I would say that the goal of parenting primarily is that you drink heavily from the Lord and that you be filled with the spirit of God and then permeating out of you is the fruit of the spirit. If you were to ask about parent or marriage, I would say the same thing. And if you just wanted to know the best picture I have of the Christian life, I would say that's it. God's desire is that we drink heavily from him and his spirit fills our soul. And as it does, it not only satisfies us, but radiates out of it. And Jesus said in John 7, this is about the spirit of God. Now, sometime towards the middle of last year, the Lord began to give me a different picture. It's something I hadn't seen before. But I begin to think about the reality of most of the people I talk to and most of the people I minister to. And the second picture kind of clarifies that, that the reality is for most of us, well, for all of us to some degree, there are hindrances to the spirit in our life. And so those rocks represent some big things in your life and some small things in your life. But all of us have hindrances as believers to the flow of God's presence. And so anytime there is sin in our life, what does it do? Well, it just hinders the flow of life. And so here is God who has created us to experience fullness of life, John 10, in abundant life. And that comes through the spirit. But if there is hindrances to the spirit flowing into our heart, well, not only are we not satisfied and are we not healthy and are we not growing, but... What is coming out of us is also not the fullness of the Spirit. So given that picture, what I realized it's possible for me every single Sunday and throughout all of our ministries of our church to be pleading with you to walk with Jesus and know Jesus and be evangelistic and share the gospel. But if there are hindrances to the life of Jesus flowing in you, then there won't be much flowing out of you. You ask, why is it that so many Christians feel dissatisfied with their relationship with the Lord? Why do we find evangelism and missions so difficult? Why do we find the fruit of the Spirit so elusive? Well, I would say that that's it. That's the reason. And so is there still some life there? Well, sure, because the life of God has invaded your heart. But, but it's not fullness of life. There's parts of our heart that are, that are dying and that are not nourished. And so we're not satisfied. We don't experience life. And then the fruit of the Spirit is, is really elusive to us. I begin to think about the consequences of that. Like for you and for me and, and for the ministry. And, and if we're just keeping pushing you towards something that's not even possible because that's the reality in most of our hearts. And so I got our staff together at the end of last year and last fall. And I said, what do you sins? are the biggest hindrances to life within those you are ministering to? They came up with 14 pretty quickly. I took those 14, I prayed over them for a while, and I began to sense that they could be summarized in four primary categories. These are the four primary hindrances I sense in our church, just in the time in which we live. And by God's grace, I found all of them in one passage of Scripture, in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The four primary hindrances are first, worldliness, second, pride, third, apathy, and fourth, unconfessed sin worldliness, pride, spiritual apathy, and unconfessed sin. And so Lord willing, we're going to start next week and we're going to walk through all four of those week by week. Sounds so fun, doesn't it? My notes say hold for applause, but I I didn't. That's not going to happen. There is something that doesn't seem really fun about spending the next four weeks talking about the sin in your life that you may not even know is there. And I do think there's going to be some hard conversations. I think this idea of worldliness is big and pride is, is big and our spiritual apathy, not only in drawing near to God, but our apathy in resisting the devil in James 4. And then just the unconfessed sin. And so, although that's hard, listen to this. Wouldn't you want to see and know and deal with anything in your life that might be hindering the Spirit of God in you? Wouldn't you want that? Like, wouldn't you want God in his grace to expose something that is blocking the life of Jesus that is coming into you? Because if something is hindering the flow of the Spirit, that is not only affecting your heart, it's affecting everyone around you. This is why we often say here, your sin is not just your problem. Your lack of walking with Jesus is not just affecting you, it's affecting everyone else around you. So wouldn't you long for the Spirit of God to reveal to you the hindrances to his life so that you might grow and thrive and experience abundance of life? life and then you would know the fruit of the spirit flowing out of you wouldn't you want to know that and I do and I think you do as well and so we're going to spend some time talking about that over the next few weeks and then we have something coming up this Wednesday I'll tell you about that it's going to lead us I think in that direction as well but as I was planning that series I began to think well it's going to be hard to really understand the hindrances to life unless we understand What we often don't understand, and that is what is it like to experience the life of the Spirit of God? We don't talk about the Spirit as much as we should. We don't hear a lot of sermons on the Spirit of God, and so we talk about a Spirit-filled life, and we don't know what that means, and we don't know how to have it or what it does or what the Spirit of God does. And so if John 7 tells us anything, it tells us this, that this river flowing into us, which is satisfying our hearts and flowing out of us, is the Spirit of God. And if we don't understand the life of the Spirit of God, we will never understand what it's like to have a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ or to understand the fruit of the Spirit. And So this morning, I want to take some time and and hopefully make that image we put up there clear. What does it mean to have life in the Spirit and how does the Spirit give us life? Now, one of the reasons I'm so thankful about doing this right now is it fits perfectly with where we are in the Gospel of John. One of the things that John says, as he says in John twenty thirty one the reason he's writing that book, the book of John, is that so you might believe and in believing have life. So John's motive is life. John's motive is that you would know the life, the abundant life of Jesus in John 10, 10. And isn't it interesting that the gospel that is written to give us life is the gospel that tells us more about the spirit of God than any other book in the New Testament. Because John knows that if, if you don't understand the spirit, you will never understand life. There's no hope for you experiencing the life of Jesus without a real understanding of the Spirit of God. So the question this morning is this, how does the Spirit give us life? I want to tell you a few different ways, and all of them are from John. The first one is this, the Spirit creates life. The Spirit creates life. John begins different than any of the Gospels. And we wonder why he begins this way. He begins with before the foundation of the world, and he begins with Jesus as the creator of all things. You say, well, if John begins that way, it must be necessary for the case that he's trying to make. And we find out very soon that he is because he wants to establish Jesus as creator. Because what's going to be essential for us receiving life is to know that what Jesus did in creation, he must also do in your heart. Did you get that? What Jesus did in creation, he must also do in your heart. So everything was darkness and void, and yet God spoke and created life. So it is that your heart without Jesus Christ is darkness and void. It is possible for you to be physically alive, but spiritually dead. It's not only possible, it's the reality unless you've come to Christ. And so another image I could give you, this third image, is an image of a heart without Christ. And there's no life there. Like there is physical life, but there is no spiritual life. And everyone without Christ, everyone who has not received Jesus Christ as the payment for their sins and believed in him and called upon his name and asked to be saved, that's the heart. There's nothing flowing in that is life and therefore no life flowing out. It's just a dead heart. That's every person who has not been born again by the Spirit. And so that's the whole point of of John chapter 3. It's the point of John 1 in which we must know that Jesus has to recreate something in us, but it's also the point of of John 3. When Jesus comes to Nicodemus and asks how he can know the kingdom of God, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There has to be a new birth in you, not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water, that's a reference to the cleansing of sin, unless you have the cleansing of sin, and of the Spirit, capital S, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, meaning you cannot enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ unless the Spirit of God does something in you. It's what theologians call regeneration. It's the creation of something new. You will be eternally spiritually dead without a supernatural sovereign work of the spirit of God. We talked about that extensively in John 3. But you need to know that the only way you would ever have any spiritual life inside of you is if the spirit of God creates it. You are fully dependent upon the spirit for the creation of life. That's why John six sixty three says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Like if you don't have this supernatural and sovereign and spiritual work of the spirit of God, you will be physically alive and spiritually dead. No heartbeat for God whatsoever. You know, the good news is if you have any hunger and thirst for God, what that means is that the spirit of God is working in your life. If you don't have any hunger and thirst for God, well, that's a problem. Because one of the signs of life, one of the signs that you know Spirit is working in you is you have just an inkling, at least, of desire for God and longing for God and hunger and thirst for God. That's evidence of the Spirit of God. That's God's invitation for you to come and to receive life in Him. The Spirit creates life. Not only that, second of all, the Spirit sustains life. The Spirit sustains life. In the same way John 1 makes this clear, and Colossians 1 makes this clear, that the God who created is the God who sustains So things continue to exist and be held together because God is sustaining it. The sun rises and sets today. Why? Because God is overseeing those things and sustaining that life continues to exist. And so the spirit who created life in you is the spirit who continues to give you life. And so the way in which your soul is constantly nourished, the way in which you continue to experience the life of Jesus is by the continued work of the spirit of God. So one of the things we're always trying to fight against in in the culture in which we live is this really pagan, I could say clearly demonic idea that life with Jesus is saying a prayer and moving on when that's not reality. Uh, Life with Jesus is receiving the life of Jesus by his spirit and you do that by calling upon the name of the Lord, acknowledging your sin. But what that is, is that's the beginning of new life. It's being born again. And then what God wants to continue to do is to sustain that life in you every moment by his spirit. You say, where is that in John? Well, it's in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. It is the spirit who reveals the word to us. It is the spirit that guides us. It is the spirit that instructs us. It is the spirit that empowers us and protects us. It is the spirit who helps us. So where do you get the help and the guidance and the wisdom and direction you need? The spirit of God. How do you understand the word of God? Let's say you made a a new commitment to read the Bible this year. Well, great, praise God. You won't understand anything without the spirit. Like you have to have the Spirit of God helping you understand the Word of God. And so if you're opening the Bible every day with no thought of the Spirit of God, there's not going to be much you're going to receive because the Spirit helps us understand those things. The Spirit is creating life and sustaining life. The way in which a heart becomes healthy and green and thriving as we talked about where the rivers are flowing there and there's health there. It's the Spirit sustaining us moment by moment. The Spirit creates life. The Spirit sustains life. Thirdly, the Spirit increases life. The Spirit increases life. Where there is more of the Spirit, there is more life. John 10, 10, in Him is life and life abundantly. I think one of the things that's been hurtful is this idea that maybe when you come to Jesus Christ initially, at that moment you get fullness of abundant life. There are many, this is the parable of the soils, who have walked away from the faith because they didn't get everything that was promised to them immediately. What I would say is this, is certainly when you come to Christ, something miraculous happens in you. Your dead heart becomes alive and you have a spiritual life. But we come to understand that abundant life the more that we walk in the Spirit. The more you know of the Spirit of God, the more you will know of the life of God. And so if you give your life to Christ and yet know nothing of the Spirit and aren't thinking about the Spirit or seeking the Spirit or asking to be filled with the Spirit then you will not have an increase in life because the more in which we're receiving of the spirit the more in which we're coming to him and drinking the more we know the life of Jesus this is why John 3:34 says Jesus gives the spirit without measure so the spirit is God and so in that same way that there is no limit to God there is no limit to the spirit so we can just drink and drink and drink and and receive more and more of the spirit. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 3.19, he prays that we might be filled with the fullness of God. And so we're just constantly seeking more of a spirit. We want more of a spirit. Why? Part of it's selfish and good, holy selfish. I want life. <laughs> I want to know life with Jesus. Everything is better in my life when I know Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. But I also know I got five little kids and a bunch of people that come to church. And what I need coming out of me is Jesus. And the way in which that increases, the way I continue to grow personally so that you can grow because much of your growth depends upon me hearing from the Lord and the growth of my children and those I love depends on me drinking more and more from the Spirit, increasing life. The Spirit creates and sustains and increases life. And finally, the Spirit manifests life. The life flows from us in the life of the Spirit. And that goes back to that picture again. The reality is it's like something is coming out of us. Every time you open your mouth, something is coming out of us. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think the fruit of the Spirit sometimes feels so elusive. And I would imagine some of you, hopefully, have some thoughts of, boy, this year, I'd like to be more gentle and kind and patient and all of those things. Self-controlled in whatever area of life. Where do those things come from? They come from the Spirit of God. (laughs) And so, if you have this desire to be more of all of these things, and those things of the Spirit are the fruit of the Spirit, well, then you have no hope of being better in 2024 without more of the Spirit. You are wholly and completely dependent upon the Spirit of God for that. And what I want permeating from me, so that my kids receive it when I open my mouth, my wife receives it when I get home from work, is God. They need Jesus, they don't need dad in his flesh, because that's bad. They need dad in the spirit. There is nothing you need going into this next year more than you need more of the spirit of God. Nothing. Nothing. Not only because of the way in which you need to be satisfied, but the way in which that wants to permeate from you. You want to experience the Galatians 5 fruit of the spirit. Our vision statement began with we want to be the visible presence of Jesus. You know what that means? That means God's design is that the way in which Jesus is still seen is through the ministry of the local church. And the way in which the local church works is Ephesians chapter 4 says, Jesus ascended, and as he ascended, he gave gifts to people. And so Jesus ascends, he gives gifts to people, and all of us get like one, two, two and a half gifts. I don't know, something. And the only way in which your gift matters and is effective, listen to this. Some of you who might not take church involvement super seriously, some of you who kind of attend and are peripheral to church, but you're not actively engaged in serving in church. This is not coming from your pastor. This is coming from the word of God. Listen, that the only way in which your gift that has been given to you by the spirit matters is when it's joined with the rest of the gifts in something called a local church and those together manifest Christ. Not a lot of amens, but that's really big. That's a big deal. Like you find your significance and your place and your service in the context of serving in a local church. And we're thankful for your attendance and your giving. All of that's great. Praise the Lord. But what I want to see you do is step into the life that Jesus has for you by seeing how your spiritual gift matched with the gifts of the others becomes the visible presence of Jesus. That's God's vision for a church. We talk a lot here about the manifest presence. We mean not the omnipresence of Jesus, but the manifest presence God felt and seen and made real by his spirit. And I, I, I want to spend the rest of my ministry here as long God has me here helping us understand this. That's it for me. Like what's it for me is you receiving from the spirit, satisfying you, knowing the life and it, and it flowing out of you and blessing everyone around you. So the question will be, well, how does, how does that happen? <laughs> how do we pursue life in the spirit? I think that becomes the elusive part, which we never understand. It seems very mystical and magical. Well, there's two things. First of all, John 3 does make it clear, particularly John 3, 8, that the spirit is like the wind and blows where it will. And so there is a supernatural and sovereign work of the spirit of God. You cannot read the New Testament without acknowledging that. And so there is this kind of sovereign work of the Spirit and supernatural work, and we don't determine where the Spirit moves in a sense. The Spirit moves where it will. Yet, my personal experience of the Spirit of God and fullness of the Spirit very much depends upon me. It's not wrong to say that. That's absolutely right to say that. Like, if you never want the Spirit or seek the Spirit or think about the Spirit, well, guess what? You're not going to have much of the Spirit. And this is why Ephesians, I think five is so helpful to us that Ephesians five eighteen says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. That's a command. You're commanded to be filled with the spirit. That's not passive. That's an active command in which you were called to be filled with something. It's John seven. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so if I want rivers of living water to flow in me and out of me, I have a responsibility to come in and, and drink. Now, maybe this will resonate with you. This has always been confusing to me. And I would say not until about two years ago did I start to get clarity on this. I always felt like the way you got filled with the Spirit is you just prayed, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And that needs to be the prayer you pray 38 times a day. Like over and over. You wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm gonna be a jerk today if you don't fill me with my Spirit, if your Spirit... Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to think about things that I shouldn't. I'm going to do things I should Lord, I don't have any hope today without the Spirit of God. Like I have no hope today without the Spirit. And about 30 minutes later, when you start to fill the flesh, you say, Lord, I need your Spirit, like just constantly. So we need to pray for that. But I think the way that we viewed this is it's some magical thing where I don't have the Spirit, and then I pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit, and I'm just filled with the fullness of the Spirit. And, and then I walk in the flesh, and then I pray again. I don't think that's how it works. The reason I don't think that's how it works is because Ephesians 5.18 gives us an illustration of how it works. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit, which shows us two things. Being filled with the spirit is about control. So when you're drunk with wine, you're controlled by wine. Impossible to be drunk with wine and filled with the spirit. Impossible to ever be drunk with wine and filled with the spirit because you're under the control of wine, not under the control of the spirit. And so there isn't an idea of a control here in this illustration, but it's more than that. How would you get drunk with wine? You don't pray, I'd like to be drunk with wine. And it just happens. Now the way you get drunk with wine is you drink a lot. This is an illustration. I'm not, don't take this clip and put it somewhere. The way you get drunk with wine is you just drink a lot. Like, you just drink and drink and drink, and you know what happens? Over a period of of time, you begin to be drunk. Why? Because you've been drinking. Well, so, why is it that Paul used that illustration to help us to know what it's like to be filled with the Spirit? Because the way you get filled with the Spirit is not just magically praying you're filled with the Spirit. You drink a lot over a period of time. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and, and drink, and we drink constantly. The person who is filled with the Spirit is the person who is obsessed with God, Who wants God in the morning and the afternoon and the evening and before they go to bed and right when they wake up. And so they're reading the word. They're spending time in silence and solitude with God. They're thinking and setting their minds upon the things of God. They're dealing with sin and hindrances. Why? Because they want God and they're going after God. And the way that we're filled with the spirit of God is by pursuing the spirit of God. I've been here six years and I've given this quote to you at least five times, but I'm doing it again. Here it is. A.W. Tozer says this. The degree of fullness in any life accords perfectly with the intensity of true desire. The degree of fullness, how full you are with the spirit, depends on the intensity of your desire. Do you even want this? Is this even a thing for you? How much time did you spend this week thinking about the Spirit or pursuing the Spirit or or wanting to be filled with the Spirit? And so the degree of fullness accords perfectly with the intensity of desire. And here's what he continues to say. We have as much of God as we actually want. One great hindrance to the Spirit-filled life, he says, is the theology of complacency so widely accepted among gospel Christians today. That's why we're going to spend some time on apathy just apathetic we just don't want the spirit we just we're not thinking about this we don't want much of God and if you don't want much of God you're not going to get much of God and so it is with with being filled with the spirit of God is this something you want if you want to have your life healthy and and your soul healthy and and you're the psalm one person who's bearing fruit and and its leaf doesn't wither and you're growing and And things are happening in your life and God is using you to bless others. Well, that comes from the spirit of God and the spirit of God comes from you drinking heavily from his spirit. Now, Bob reading this week had Psalm 63 in it. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Even that first line is incredible. God, you're my God. I just want to establish right now, I worship you. I want you. You're my God. So you're what I want most and worship the most. You control my life. Earnestly, I seek you. So if God is your God, then you earnestly seek it because you earnestly seek whatever's your God. The psalmist is saying, God, you're my God, therefore I'm gonna earnestly seek you. And the one that earnestly seeks, I assure you, based on the promises of God, finds him and the fullness of his spirit. And yet, as all of us do that and pursue that, there are hindrances to the life of the spirit. It is very possible and likely in all of our lives that there are things that are hindering God. Ephesians 4, 30 and 32 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit can be saddened and we can cause him sorrow and distress. And do you you know why? It's not not that the Holy Spirit gets his feelings hurt, his feelings hurt. It's that the reality is, is that, He knows that he exists to bring life to your soul. And he knows that he exists to permeate out of you and in you and through you. And all he longs for you is for you to experience the fullness of everything he has for you. It's like a parent who knows all there is if you would just walk rightly and and grieves over you walking in in the way of folly and not in the way of wisdom. So it is the spirit of God is grieved when we fail to walk in the spirit and when we don't remove those hindrances. Why? Because we're just missing out on life at its best. That's why we get another picture of that in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 where it says do not quench the spirit. It's, it's a little bit of a different word picture from the water but it's the picture we get in Revelation 1 of our heart being ablaze with the spirit of God. And what those hindrances do, those little sins, those big sins, they just put water on the fire of passion for God. And so you could say that, that the degree of passion you have for God really is determined by the degree into which you're removing the hindrances that quench the spirit of God so we go back to that second picture that it is possible for there to be things that are blocking the flow of the water in your life to some degree this is all of our hearts I mean that that first picture is, is life at its best that's the goal that's what we want but this is reality and some more than others There's some of you here this morning that there's so little of the Spirit and so much sin and hindrances that there's very little life flowing. And you can see the places where it's flowing more, there's more life. And the place where it's flowing less, there's less life. And there's very little coming out. There's a little bit on one side, but almost nothing on the other side. What that means is there's just no Jesus coming out of you. There's no fruit of the Spirit coming out of you. It's a sad picture of life with unconfessed sin. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks, and we are going to Wednesday night as well. I'll tell you about that at the end, but we're going to talk about how to deal with those things graciously and kindly, but how to wage war on hindrances. That's what we want to do. But here's my burden today, and the reason I wanted to start with this message. There's that famous quote by Elie Wiesel. He was a Holocaust survivor and a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And you know the quote, it's this, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The biggest burden on my heart today is just that we're ignoring the Spirit of God. And to ignore the Spirit of God is to ignore God. It's interesting. We would probably never say, I'm just going to ignore Jesus or ignore God. But we ignore the Spirit. How often are you thinking about the Spirit of God? How much are you seeking the Spirit of God? How much do you want the Spirit of God? How much of your life is just going through life without any thought of the Spirit of God? Which means you're not going through life with the life of God flowing in you and out of you. I mean, what matters more than this? What matters more than your life in the spirit? I mean, does it even matter to you? Does it matter to you that these little sins, these big sins, these besetting sins are not just negative character qualities, they are blocking the very flow of life which Christ shed his blood to give you. That everything God has for you flows from the life he wants to give you and every hindrance is blocking them and we will always have them until the time in which we're glorified but the goal of the Christian life is to keep removing them. Why? Because we want more of the life of God. We've tasted it. We've seen it. And we believe there's nothing better than it. And it's not just about your heart. It's about the heart of every, everyone around you. So this morning, the way I want us to conclude our time together is just by praying. We sang a minute ago the words from Psalm 62 about waiting in silence before the Lord. And I just want to give you some time to pray, to acknowledge some of those hindrances, to confess those things before the Lord, to ask the Lord for more hunger and thirst. I don't know what it is that is on your heart, but I just wanna give you some time and space to pray. And you're welcome to get on your knees as we often do or just be seated, whatever you wanna do. But I wanna give you time to pray and to ask the Lord to, to help you long for more of the spirit, that the spirit would be more of a reality in your life. So Ryan's going to come and he's going to play softly. And I'm just going to give you some time and space. And after that, we'll stand and we'll sing a final song together. But I want to give some time to pray this morning. Let's do that. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.